Our God reigns. You know, we uh, we sang that song, and I don't know. It's there's there's something about uh, realization, or even looking at those, uh, you know, at that word and and speaking those songs. Uh, you know, our God reigns. What does that actually entail? Uh, you know, if we say that our God reigns, then we have to look back at last Sunday and listen to Larry's words whenever Larry was telling us that, uh, you know, that we are victorious because of Jesus Christ and the cross. Because he reigns over all things. Whenever we look at that, we also have to look into James where James tells us that even in the midst of our sorrows, we are supposed to be full of joy. And most of y'all know that, you know, the, about my father and, and yes, uh, you know, I, I think about that and, uh, you know, um, I asked him. Whenever he called me, I asked him, I said, Dan, I said, are you praising God? And he says, well, I thank God, uh, you know, for being God, but I'm not praising him right now. And I'm like, no, I know you're not praising him for the cancer, but are you praising God? He's like, well, and I said, Dad, I said, you should be praising God because he... He reigns. Regardless of the cancer, regardless of what's going on around, God reigns and I am in His hands. I am victorious. Like Larry said, I am victorious because of the cross. And I don't know how many of y'all got that wonderful illustration that he gave to us about bike riding or mountain bike riding. Now, we're not talking about motorcycles like Marty and I did on Friday. We're talking about bicycles and how whenever you're going down that trail, it is really narrow. And if you look off to the right or to the left, you're going to hit what you're going to look off at. Now, these are trails that are wide enough for the rider's handlebars and shoulders to go through. If you deviate somewhere around an inch, maybe two inches, you've hit something. But our God reigns and is in control of all of those things that we are going through. And the thing about it is, is that we sung about that and then we were talking about how great he was. And how great God is and how we give him our burdens and how because of him and how great he is, we have forgiveness of our sins. Right? Man, y'all were not following along with me this evening. I know I just took my medicine about three hours ago, but I'm okay. Because, see, we look at this and we think about God reigning. 
and we think about how great he is and we think about the victories that we've won and we think about the things that he has done for us and the things that he gives to us and the things that he allows us to have and his love and his mercy that he pours out upon us. We are broken individuals. But yet we are his church and his church is victorious because of him and he allows us to take part in spreading his gospel. Notice it's his gospel, it's not ours. It's his. So we have this wonderful book that Paul writes to us in Ephesians. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul tells us that this is what the spiritual life is all about. In being filled with the Holy Spirit and living a spirit-filled life as a sanctified Christian. And then he comes into verse or into chapter 4, and in chapter 4 he says, okay then this is what the church is supposed to be like. We're in chapter 4, just in case you haven't got there yet. For those that aren't even in Ephesians yet, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And in the beginning part of Ephesians chapter 4, we find that Paul has given us, he has taken us from the theology of a sanctified life in, verse, in chapters 1 through 3. And he's going to divide it up before he goes into 5 and 6 and gives us more theology. And he says, okay, this is what I need for you to do as a church and as the body of Christ. So are you there yet? All right, so now we get into this, and we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 16. Verses 11 through 16. Now, he talks about the church and about the body beginning in verse 7, but we're going to start here in 11. In verse 11, it says, Now, there are the gifts... Christ gave to the church are these are the gifts Christ gave to the church the apostles the prophets the evangelists the pastors and teachers their responsibility is is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church the body of Christ this will continue until all comes to such unity and faith and knowledge of God's Son that they will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to, full, to the full and complete standards of Christ. Wow, that's a mouthful and that is a lot. And we're pretty much going to be right there. But I'm going to continue reading on and we're going to go into verse 14. It says, then you will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind and new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with these lies so clever they sound like truths. Instead, we will, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. 
He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Wow. So that's what we're supposed to do. Now, I, I took you from how great he is and, and how, how God reigns. And we talked about this and we looked at this. And, and even though God is reigning, his plans that he has for the church is for the church to do what? The church is supposed to be his light and his feet. They are supposed to spread his gospel to the world. And we are supposed to spread his gospel to the world by doing what? By loving the world. The only way that we can truly love the world is if we truly have Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit living within us. And it's through that love and through that maturity that we are able to love one another. What's an apostle? An apostle is an agent of God that was here and saw Jesus Christ after his resurrection. So it's pretty good to say that there's no more apostles around, right? Well, there could be because Paul did not see Jesus Christ after the resurrection, until after his conversion on the road to Damascus, and he spent three months in seclusion where Jesus came down and visited with Paul. So that's where Paul gets the apostle part on his name. It is possible that God will, you know, that Jesus will come and visit someone else, but I think it very highly unlikely that that's going to happen. So what is a prophet? A prophet would be someone that would tell me the future, right? A prophet is an agent of God that reveals the future through God's word. There could be plenty of prophets around us. There could be people that God have, has given the gifts to prophesy his message and his word to us. So those could still be around. An evangelist. An evangelist is someone or an agent of God, someone that God has given the specific message to the lost people. An evangelist message, his, you know, his gift in the message that comes from God is an, what we would consider an evangelical message that would pertain to salvation. An evangelist would not be someone that would take the leadership of a church that would per se begin to teach the flock or teach the people the word of God. They are great at starting churches. They are great, great at ministering to the world at large as far as out away from the church. 
And yes, we have plenty of evangelists and we have good evangelists, uh, you know, that come around. And yes, they stir our hearts with their messages. We have song evangelists. Uh, you know, we have Susan and Kelly. They stir our hearts with the message that God has given to them through song and through their testimony. You've got Ron that's back there that works on the sound, and he's, he's still trying to go out and travel. And Ron, you're still traveling some, aren't you? Still song evangelizing, evangelizing God's word, uh, you know, by traveling around and going to the other places. We get to the other two, but the other two that's listed here is really just one person. And, and the word that they use for, for pastor and for teacher is the same thing. That's why they lump them together. So it would be a pastor slash teacher or pastor hyphen teacher. If you're looking at it in the Hebrews. And it tells us and we see through this that what the process in this passage of scripture shows us and tells us. That the evangelist and the pastor's teachers are supposed to be doing what for the church? They are supposed to be growing God's kingdom. But we are supposed to be teaching and we are supposed to be preaching God's gospel so that we will become one and we will be unified as one body. And therefore, we will then become what? It tells us that we will become mature Christians. So... <clears throat> What is a mature Christian? This is Sunday night, so I'm just going to kind of open this up. Anybody have an idea on a on a mature Christian? It tells us further along in the scripture. You're more than welcome to read it. Go ahead. Okay. All right. All right, there's other things in there. What else does it tell you? Look right there at the end of verse 13. Because it says, Such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to full and complete standards of Christ, or standard of Christ. It says that we will no longer be immature, as in Christ-like, but we will be more Christ-like. Immature Christians are people that have to have their way. Immature Christians are Christians that can't share. I'm the leader. You got to do it my way. Right? Think of your children whenever they were growing up and what immature things did they do? Whether they pitched a fit when they didn't get their way? How many of them has done, done dumb things? I mean, how many of us, whenever we were immature, that we did dumb things? Dumb things. We, you know, 
Uh, you know, how many times as in our immaturity did we, do, did we do something that we knew our parents told us not to do? But we did it anyway. How many times in your immature walk with Jesus Christ that you knew that he told you not to do something, but you did it anyway? See, that's what this is talking about. Come on, guys, y'all need to get with this because he is telling us here that we are able to live a mature life as Christians. And if we're living a mature life as Christians, that means that if the devil's going to flash something over here to the side, I'm not going to go running over and go, oh, that looks really pretty. I'm going to stand firm on what I know is right. And whenever the world says you should be teaching this and the scripture tells us no, I should be teaching this, I'm going to teach this. You know, just because, you know, two people say that it's right doesn't mean it's right. We have to stand on what is right. If we are immature, we're going to be running over here and say, oh, I am so sorry I offended you. We are supposed to be mature people. But it says that we are supposed to be mature in Christ. And down there towards the end of it, of the, it says that we are supposed to grow in full love. Because I tell you what, I know some Christians that think that they're really mature. Whew. But if a little bit of a rain came, they'd drown. We cannot get so haughty in our relationship with God that we forget why we're here. Uh, you know, Paul comes in and Paul tells us and he's showing us here. He says, look, you need to mature and you really need to come together because all this, this little bickering over here and you're talking about how you don't like the way the sound was this morning or you're over here and you're saying, man, I don't like the way that Robbie sang this morning. Man, you know, somebody's over here like, I don't like the way that we only had, we had three women up there singing tonight. Did you know that? Where's all those guys at? Oh, I mean, where's all those men at? There's little bickering. Oh, you know, it's, it might sound really funny, but I tell you what, there's somebody walked out of a Sunday school class this morning and said, man, I didn't like the way that, that lesson went today. Are we building up unity by talking bad about our Sunday school teacher? Are we building up unity whenever we complain about every little thing that's going on? It says that we are supposed to be building up unity and helping one another to grow in Christ-likeness. So whenever we see someone that's struggling, what do we do? Oh, here's a little help. Or do we go and we hug them? Do we take them by the hand or do we take them by the neck? Depends on what they need, right? See, Paul tells us that, yes, there are things that we as a church and as individuals of the body of Christ need to get under control before we will ever be able to do 
what God truly has for us as individuals to do and for us as the church to do. The Spirit of God can move mightily in a service. But if we leave this building and we talk bad about somebody else that was in the service, then we will keep the Spirit from moving any further. It talks about unity. It talks about oneness. It talks about us becoming mature. Now, whenever we're mature, do we do everything right? No. I remember taking my son, Peggy and I, we, uh, we, we had Andrew. Andrew was our firstborn, and he was up to where he could actually eat food. So for the first time, Peggy and I went out to a restaurant with Andrew. The, the restaurant and the, you know, the, the lady that was sitting us, uh, you know, she most probably knew that we were immature parents and, and really had no clue. So she took us right back there to the door, right next to the kitchen. Because if we made a mess, they wanted to, be make, they wanted to make sure that they were right there really quickly to clean it up. At least that's what I say anyway. So Peggy and I are sitting there and we're having this nice conversation and Andrew's going to town on those steak fries. Y'all, y'all remember those steak fries, those steak, steak fries? Man, he's going to town on those things. He's, he's loving those things, man. We're like, man, this is great. You know, we're in this good conversation. Next thing we know, our waitress comes running over there. She picks Andrew up. She's patting him on the back, and she's reaching down in his throat, and she brings out about four or five of those steak fries. <laughs> Andrew was sitting over there choking. Hey, and I were having a great old time. immaturity we didn't realize it was our first one first time that we'd ever been out to a restaurant I'm like man I'm sure he can gum those things enough he's got two front teeth he should be cool with those things but see we We are Christians in that manner. There are people sitting next to us that are choking to death on the world or choking to death on mistakes that they have made that we're just oblivious to. We're oblivious to it because Peggy and I was having a really good time, having a good husband-wife conversation without the child right there in the middle of it interrupting. Now we know why he wasn't interrupting. But But we we have those times. See, we, we do mess up whenever we're mature. But God is calling us, and let's not, I don't want to mistake this, uh, you know, we're going to go back, and we're, there's more things in this passage of Scripture. But uh, whenever we look here, it says that we will be, uh, you know, that we will 
uh, measure up to the full and complete standards of Christ. Some of you are going to have difficulties with this. I understand. Please don't run out. Don't, you know, well, yeah, you can run out. That's okay. What he is saying here, that we can get to a point that we are to our full in Jesus Christ. That we have everything of Jesus Christ in our lives. And our lives show Jesus Christ through everything. Will we be perfect? No. Can we be perfect Christians? Yes. We can absolutely do exactly what God has called us to do. It says it right here. And it doesn't say that we do it whenever we take our last breath. Because Jesus Christ has called us to live a victorious life. And if he is telling us something that we can do right here, if he is saying that you can do this, and he wants us to live a victorious life, then we can do it. And we can do it on this side of heaven. Because if he has put something out there that is so far for us to reach that we will never reach it, eventually we'll stop going for it. The donkey, you dangle the carrot in front of the donkey and it follows the donkey. Or the, no, it doesn't follow the donkey. The donkey follows it. If the donkey can't get a nibble of it every once in a while, it'll stop following it. Because it doesn't know what the victory tastes like. There is victory for us here on this earth. We talked about the battles last week. Those victories are here on this side of earth. That we will receive those victories. We win those battles. Will we ever stop growing? Never, ever, until we take our last breath. Will there ever be a point that we will stop hungering Jesus Christ? It should not be until we take our last breath. If you as a Christian stand up and say, Whoo, praise the Lord, I've made it to perfection. You need to begin to pray because your pride has gotten in the way. So whenever I say yes that we can reach this, I believe that we can reach it, but I also believe that whenever we reach it, that if we don't continue to strive to stay there, we'll lose it. It is an obtainable thing, but it's an obtainable thing that we have to constantly work at. All right, so there's your free message. Let's go back to this. Let's, let's, let's go back into the passage of Scripture. Okay, and let's look there at verse 12. Verse 12, if we read the verse 12 in its original language or in its original statement, it would really truly read in this manner. It would say, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Well, that's what it says. Now, let me read you. I got out of my notes here. Let me, 
Go back. Now, this is what it would be or what it should be like, okay? It would be, uh, you would use the word toward instead of for. So it would say towards the equipping of God's people unto the work of service unto the building up of the body of Christ. So whenever we look at that and you see this particular passage of Scripture, I have to ask you the question, what part is the pastor, teacher, and what part is the congregation? Is all three of them for the pastor, teacher, or, are one of, or is one of them for the pastor, teacher, and the other two for the congregation? Which ones do you have it as? What's your thought process? As your pastor, I need to know. Huh? All of us. But she's right. She is right. A leader or pastor teacher is not worth his salt if he doesn't do what he's teaching. So the equipping that it's talking about here, yes, the pastor is supposed to equip himself and then he is supposed to equip the, te- you know, the, the congregation. And then from the equipping, we are then supposed to all go out and do the works and the works that we are supposed to do is to build the kingdom of heaven. So that's what we're supposed to do. So how do we do this? So the teaching part. What, what, what is this? What is this teaching process? What is the pastor supposed to be teaching? That's not a question. <laughs> the first part of the first thing that a pastor is supposed to teach is prayer. How do we pray? And as the pastor, and as the pastor grows, and as his, as his prayer life grows, and as he teaches his congregation to grow, then his congregation is supposed to teach the other ones how to pray. So I learn how to pray, which hopefully I've learned how to pray. I still need to pray more. And that's why, I guess that's why I keep going back to the different types of prayer. It's because we have to make sure that we have a handle on those different types of prayer to be able to properly pray. Uh, you know, that's one of the things, uh, you know, we did this year with our night watch service. And we had that time of prayer. Uh, you know... I have had more people compliment and talk about this year's night watch service than the last three night watch services that we, or two night watch services that we have done. And it was all about prayer. So as we learn how to pray, we are supposed to help others in their prayer. Oh, wow, I'm even this far back. 
I must have skipped something else. Oh, no, no. The first tool, and that's all one altogether. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> now that I go back, second thing is prayer. Because the most important thing is God's word. So that would be one. So if you're taking notes, erase one by prayer, put two. One is teaching you God's word. Teaching us to understand God's word. That's kind of what we're doing tonight, right? We're understanding God's word and what it has to do for us and what we are really supposed to do. The second part is, is that we then begin to teach through prayer. And as it goes, and as we've already said, once you learn to pray and once your prayer life has, has grown, then you were supposed to begin to teach others to pray. I, I think The War Room was, it, it's, it's one of my, it, it's, it's an excellent movie. I can't say it's one of my favorite movies because then my favorite movie list would have to be about this long. But it is a great movie. But you notice... At the end of the movie, she said, now you have to find someone to be able to teach. And she said, I'm going to do the same. I'm going to find someone else that I can now go and teach. There's all too often that we see and we watch movies like The War Room and we're like, oh man, that's really great. I'm going to go home and I'm going to clear out my closet. Uh, you know, How many of you cleaned out your closet after watching that movie? Nobody? Man, I even cleaned up the shoes in my closet and at least put them on a shelf. You did? There you go. Uh, you know. It, it, it moves us to change to where, we, to where we get into this. But what happens is, is we didn't have the aha moments or the victories in the battle that she had. So we stopped after what? Two, three weeks? We learn to pray and then we teach others how to pray. Through this whole process, we are doing what? We are growing the church. And by growing the church and by helping and by teaching one another how to read the scripture and how to pray, we are also building unity because we are talking together. And whenever you have accountability partners that you are actually praying with and that you're actually reading scripture with, they're more interested in helping you to grow than they are talking about you behind your back. Because why? Because you have shown an interest in them. You have said, you know, you are important to me, and you are so important to me that I am going to spend this time with you. Peggy really works with me and really tries her best to, to help me to, to see this and to understand this. That Sunday mornings, Sunday night, and Wednesday nights are not the nights to are not the times to have business conversations with people. 
It's not the time for me to meet with Robbie and say, hey, Robbie, I need you to do this. Or it's not the time for me to meet with Ashley and say, Ashley, uh, you know, how do the kids go? I think if you tried this here with the kids, maybe this would work. Or uh, it's not time for me to, you know, to meet with Wayne and say, hey, Wayne, we had a Sunday school teacher that was out this morning. Did she call you and tell you that she was going to be sick? Those are not the times to do that. Those are the times that we're supposed to be here fellowshipping with God and we're supposed to be encouraging one another. And if I really cared about Wayne and I really cared about our Sunday school department, I would call Wayne on a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday or Friday or something like that and not just simply use it as a convenience. Oh, I'll see Wayne at church. Is everybody sitting out there with their feet propped up or something? Because that should be outs for all of us. Because I tell you, that is one of the things that us as Christians that we are the worst at. We say that we love you on Sunday mornings whenever we leave church, but we never talk to you again until Sunday night or until Wednesday night or the next Sunday morning. How much do we really love you? Well... Uh, you know, it's convenient. I'm going to be here Sunday, so I'll tell Susan I love her Sunday morning. You know, Susan, I've really been thinking about you all week long. Uh, you know, you feeling better today? See? Oh, uh, you know, we, we do that. Just another little information and stuff for you, since I'm full of information tonight. Whenever you're having a conversation with someone, if you have your phone in your hand, you're telling them you're really not that interested in them. If your phone is tucked away in your pocket, out of sight, then they're like, oh, okay. Now they're interested in me. Now they're paying attention to me. Yes, I do it. I'm really bad. Even at the dinner table, whenever we go out to the restaurant, I take my phone and I set it on the on the table. Now, I thought it was polite that I turned it upside down so that I couldn't see the screen if somebody called me. I, I thought that would be polite, but, uh, you know, heaven forbid somebody correct me and say, no, that's, that's still really rude because it's out and it's visible. We really need to make sure that we show and that we pay attention to other people, that we have interest in them. So now let's get back onto this because, see, we're still talking about prayer and we're still talking about teaching and we're talking about equipping. Uh, you know, the other two things that Paul tells us, uh, you know, as far as what equips us and what teaches us really doesn't have anything to do with us as individuals but has everything to do with God. The other two ways that we are taught that we, uh, you know, that we are equipped as Christians to be able to grow is through testing. It's through our trials and through our, you know, through the things of life that we go through. Uh, you know, there's a lot of times that we will be tested, and Scripture tells us that God will test us throughout our lives because He is trying to refine us so that we look more and more like Christ. He says, fire tests, right? It gets rid of the impurities. So we're tested. There's a lot of times that we don't learn what we were supposed to learn through the test, so we get to go through the test all over again, right? 
suffering. Scripture tells us that we have to suffer through Jesus Christ. We have to suffer the same way that he suffers. We suffer not just simply for suffering. We suffer so that we will look towards him, so that we will cling to him in the times that we can no longer go anymore, that we cling to Jesus Christ through our sufferings. Wednesday night I closed with a, with a phrase, and I'm going to close kind of talking about that tonight, about divine moments. And how we need to begin to pray for divine moments. Divine moments are moments in our lives where God reveals something to us that creates a change or brings about a change in our lives. Wayne said it again this morning or in in the meeting today. That he believes that God really has something powerful for us in this church. Something powerful is going to happen in this church. Let me bring you to this. For that something powerful to happen, pain is going to be created somewhere, somehow. Because to move from where we are now to where God really wants us to be, something has to change. And change is never easy. There is always pain in change. Now, I'm not talking about, don't be afraid whenever I'm talking about change. I'm not talking about changing music. I'm not talking about changing the color of the carpet. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit changing something within our lives that we realize what He truly has for us. And then we begin to do what He truly has for us to do. That is the change that I'm talking about. That is going to create difficulty. That is going to mean that we're going to have to spend more time on our knees. We're going to have to be in prayer more often. We're going to have to go out and do things that we really don't want to do. But for it to happen, we're going to have to do what God has called us to do. If not, we're going to be running around that same bush. And the next time we come around it and somebody's going to say, Oh man, something mighty is going to happen in the church. I can feel the Spirit moving. We're going to look at this and say, wow, two years ago, we had the same exact thing happen. But we weren't willing to listen to God, and we weren't willing to do what he needed for us to do. Therefore, we didn't learn the lesson. Therefore, he cannot grow, and he cannot and will not change where we are. Wait a minute. He cannot and he will not change where we are. See, I I think that deserves a really loud hallelujah or an amen. Because for every single day that we wake up, We have that opportunity. 
every time we say or we open our mouths and we talk about God, we have that opportunity to allow him to do what he needs in our lives. And if we don't, then the next step that he had for us to do, it's not going to happen. We went through the Israelites and through the battle, uh, you know, in Colossians. You remember that? If they would have not done what God told them to do, do you think they would have met opposition in that uh, valley? Oh, most definitely. If they would have not done what God asked them to do, whenever they got into that valley, they would have met into a bee storm and they would have not won that, back, that victory. Because the battle was God's and they didn't give it to him. Therefore, he couldn't do what he said he was going to do. If God is going to work in our lives, we've got to allow him to do what he wants to do or it's not going to happen. That's gotta, that is plain and simple. If we are not willing to do what God calls us to do, he's not going to do what he said he's going to do. Woo, man. Oh, golly, you're recording this, right? I got to listen to this again. Because this is the truth. How You know, we can walk around and we can parade around and we can look like Christians and we can say that we're doing what God wants us to do, but the pudding is the proof. Man. Custard's that pudding that has that little rice bean stuff in it, isn't it? Rice pudding, I never understood rice pudding. Either make pudding or make rice. But see, the, the, see uh, you know, the evidence is in the life that we live. And as a church, it's in the evidence as far as the growth that we have with Jesus Christ. The church can only grow as much as its people are willing to grow. Hmm. I think I'm going to leave it right there. We've got to be willing. Number one, we have to be willing to be taught. We have to be teachable. Let's stand. Ladies, remember 6.30 uh, tomorrow. Uh, bring finger, finger food for your meeting. All right. I would ask each one of y'all this week, if y'all could please pray for me. I will be leaving tomorrow somewhere around uh, 9, 9.30. I'm headed to Louisiana. Uh, to uh, be there for my dad, uh, you know, with his appointment Tuesday. Um, and then I'll be coming right back. Okay, so just, just be in prayer for that. Right. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for tonight and for being with us. God, I pray, dear Lord, that your face would shine upon us and that 